welcome back as the IFC presents another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus. We've got a great episode for you. The crew is all back today as Dr. Lahab Al-Samurai, Dr. Eric Tomlinson, and Dr. Lisa Hong continue our discussion, this time with part three of the Complexes and Stranger Things. If you enjoy the IFC's Individuation Podcast and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and review your podcast. So without any further ado, Dr. Al-Samurai, take it away. Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. I'm Dr. Lahab El Samurai, and with me today are the usual wrecking crew. Dr. Lisa Hong is with us, back from Burning Man. I hope she burned a man. And Dr. Eric Tomlinson is back. Uh, no, actually, I think he's in Havana. So um, Dr. Tomlinson is in Havana, and uh, Lisa's back from Burning Man. Okay, let's catch up with the gang and then get into our third segment of Stranger Things. So this is our um, third podcast on Stranger Things. We'll be wrapping up season one of Stranger Things. So we're going to start to kind of um, start to understand how their perspectives are increasing and what is going on around them. So from something particularly sinister to now um, something grander that has uh, ambitions that things are moving in certain directions. Um, It's no longer just, I am afraid of this sinister thing behind this closed door. Now I've seen it, I can deal with it, but I still have to resolve of um, its essence. Where where is it coming from? Why is it coming towards me? Right. Okay. So I I think in this whole first season, uh, it's been a progression from that sensation, that intuition, that gut visceral feeling of something's awry. Mm. Some things don't work out. With some people having more sensitivities, and when they voice it amongst the crowd, they come out feeling debased or feeling that they're a little bit out there, but they they stick with the, their intuition. And at the end of season one, we come to a manifestation of the of that sensation, mm. a man of, of seeing that monster from the upside Ooh. down. So we're, um, I think, leaving up, picking up from the first two, our first two podcasts, we're going to go into the last three episodes right yeah. is that right Where yeah we're... yeah so yes. we've done we've done more or less um six episodes and mm-hmm. um, i think the yeah. season is like eight or nine so eight, eight episodes eight. so let let me give you a first season why don't you do the summary lisa why don't you sure. start with the summary Sure. The, the way that I've been watching this and following is I, I see three main storylines, three main adventures <laughs> of, of uh, three factions. Uh, one faction being the younger, the youngest generation, the, the boys and L. Uh, so they're off uh, following, trying to find their friend Will. Uh, and then we have Dennis, or we have Hopper and Joyce, the, um, the cop and the mother who are out uh, protecting the children and trying to find Will and protect the kids at the same time. 
their ultimate motivation. And then you have uh, the older siblings um, who are, um, I, uh, Nancy and Jonathan, who are also uh, on their own voyage, who um, trying to find the solution uh, that is in between what the kids are chasing and what the adults are chasing. So we have three different storylines. I think from where we left in the second half of the story arc, the kids are um, starting to theorize um, uh, because they've met Elle. When they meet, when they meet Elle, they believe her. And she talks about this other world, this upside down. And when she tells them of it, they believe her. And so they start to theorize and resourcing based on, for example, their science teacher who said, uh, and they presented to their science teacher. Could there be enough energy? Or could there be a way to go to another dimension? And he said, yes, that there was enough energy. And so they thought, oh, well, we got to chase what around us in our neighborhood has this kind of energy. So they're out chasing um, things that shift in their world. And they think of this plant, the science plant or this power plant in the area. Um, and there, so in the in the last couple episodes, come join in anytime <laughs> if I'm missing something. Uh, they're out um, trying to approach this power plant to try to find a gateway to get to this other world, uh, and that's um, where they're going. In the meantime, Jonathan and Nancy are in the woods trying to find uh, Nancy's friend who also has disappeared. Uh, her name is uh, Barbara. And so they're trying to find Barbara and in their uh, stumblings in the forest, uh, Nancy inadvertently tumbles into the other side through a ripple. There was a ripple, a tear in the dimensions of the world and where she falls in. And this is where uh, Nancy and Jonathan uh, discover that there is truly uh, menacing presence in this world and it is coming into their own world and this is where um, they are truly more terrified and the mother uh, Joyce and Hopper uh, they are going through uh, the more authoritarian pathways um, directly going to how did they end up going to the uh, research plan? Do you two recall? Well, they, they're searching. I, I thought the, I thought the, uh, the young guy, well, I thought one of the guys knew about it and, and he was the one that took them there. Um, gosh, what's his name? Um, Keep wanting to call him Frodo uh, Lucas. No, it's not okay. Lucas. No. Um, gosh, what is his name? I'm sorry. I just so so it. anyway, um, as you as you Dustin. reflect your thoughts, All right. Dr. Eric, let me know when you're. Um, I'm just thinking about uh, what happens is that they do find Will, right? So they do discover where Will is. But there's something um, that's not sitting right with Will. Something is wrong with Will. There is a part of him that's changing. Um, mm -hmm. He's feeling controlled, right? Possessed uh, by something. 
by something sinister, something evil, something that he doesn't have control over is, is taking over. And what we discover is that these, um, these entities that we are comparing to the complexes for several reasons, because A, they're psychic, um, energetic manifestations that um, basically live in what is called the um, upside down world or um, what we call the other world or the unconscious. Right. So they that, also call it the veil of shadows. The veil of yeah. shadows, which means that it um, it lives in a place that we are unable to peer through. So in, in all of these, it's um, dimensionally, there's this reality and then there's this other reality. Dimensionally, we exist in the other reality when we are fast asleep. But we don't exist in it when we are not. But when we're fantasizing, and we are deep within the fantasy, we are actually in that realm. So what happens with Will is that Will's release back into the upper world from the upside down world, what happens is, is that um, the effects of the interaction have taken place. The possession of the complex has taken. And now he is not in charge of himself. So that's the other aspect that's going on. And um, Dr. Lahab, I, yeah. I, I found that picture that you showed uh, us earlier interesting. I was wondering if maybe you could show our those who are observing you could show the picture of, of the growth of the complexes. Yeah, so um, we can't show that picture, but what well, we could talk oh, about the picture. Um, yeah, it's just uh, copyright. But the, the picture basically uh, depicts its um, Entertainment Weekly, uh, Stranger Things special edition, uh, if people want to check it out. But in in the in the picture what happens is it shows the growth of the monsters in uh, the upside down world and it shows them from these small insignificant creatures to this what looks like a menacing person with just a mouth that just eats like instead of having a head they have a mouth and so it has no eyes, it has no physical appearance, but it's very tall. It looks uh, like it's made out of some form of muscle. But what it is, is, is that the idea of the complex over time, how it grows. So what happens with the complex is when we're first traumatized, um, Dr. Eric, I don't know if you wanna talk a little bit about this uh, or Dr. Lisa, um, when you're first traumatized, the complex basically throws a force field around the trauma, around the dissociated material, around the negative affects, around the um, 
the sound of the trauma. So if you think about trauma, uh, trauma has sound. It makes a sound, right? To a point where you can't hear anything anymore. So if you're witnessing a trauma, you're almost like you are, um, you cannot hear anything out there anymore. It's all gone. So even the sound is dissociated. So when you think of that. And you're not talking about a literal sound. Um, you're just talking about more of the, um, yeah. how, it is, how it is that you might self-talk, how it is that you might interpret things. Is, is that what you mean? No, no, I was talking about the sound. The sound. Yeah, the actual sound of the event is disassociated. Oh. I see. You disconnect from you. You almost like hear nothing yeah, at a sure. certain point, Lisa. Um, if that helps clarify, I you do. almost you end up hearing nothing. There's this like blank. You, the you, vacuum. Ah, uh, the vacuum. You go into a. Uh, it's it's a shock state. Yes. So in that shock state, so that becomes disassociated. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's energy. Mm -hmm. So what happens to that energy, that sound, that energy, that energy of life? Mm -hmm. It's been disassociated. So remember, when we're thinking of disassociation, we're not just thinking of, oh, I was afraid and my fear got disassociated. No, no, many things get disassociated in that moment of the trauma. Humiliation, disassociated that feeling of humiliation. So what happens is, is almost like humiliation is disconnected from the feeling state. So you, it's like, I'm not, I don't remember feeling humiliated, but when the complex takes over, the humiliation, I start to feel it. The fear I start to feel starts coming through my skin. The anxiety I start to feel. Mm -hmm. I was explaining that when you've lived in high anxiety states as a child for long periods of time, as you grow older and you have your own family, that anxiety state still exists within you. And therefore, what you're going to do is keep buzzing at that same level. You're not conscious of it, but you're still buzzing at that same level. So by the time you get into your 60s, you're exhausted. You look like you're in your 70s. You look tired. You look worn out. It's because you've been buzzing at a rate that the human body can't tolerate, really. You're overtaxing it. And so... The studies, um, Dr. Lahab, some of the studies that I was involved with, with, with Dr. Perry, he... he um, and, and the clients that I, I was working with, we, he showed that on average, and this is, this is at the age of, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, that children who have grown up, as you've just described, they have a resting heart rate up to 10 beats per minute faster mm -hmm. than, the, than the typical person their age. And all you have to do is do the math, which I did, and that 
takes off depending on how long they live. I mean, that can take off six to 10 years of life in terms of the age at which your heart and cardiovascular system has been working, not to mention the brain, which has been an overamped as well. Yeah. Which brings out all the things that you were describing how a person looks. Yeah. So you start, you start at a certain point where the body doesn't regenerate like it used to in its youth, you start to age faster as you get older. You don't age slower, you actually age faster. That's what Dr. Eric's talking about. Yes. So yes, it adds do. 10 years, but it's actually adding, it's, de it's um, sorry, it takes away 10 years, six to 10 years. But what it's actually taking away is your ability to age normally. And therefore, you're always susceptible to some form of physical trauma, internal breakdown, or just emotional breakdown. You get worn down. Yes. You get worn down. You're basically, you're buzzing, right? So when you're in an anxious state, you're buzzing, right? So what happens with Will, when we get back to Stranger Things, when Will comes out of this upside down world, Will is buzzing. You could tell he's buzzing. There's something that has him. And so when you think of, um, if we think of ourselves individually, and we start to stress or obsess or start to chew on something over and over again. That's what's happening. We're being possessed. We're being possessed by pieces, fragments of disassociated affect. Disembodied emotional states. Disconnected sounds from events. Disconnected life from event. So what the trauma causes is like it causes a split from time. It causes a split from time. Time stops. That's what the trauma looks like. It stops time. And you're always going back to it. It's like you're always traveling back in time to watch it. But you never get to see the whole thing. It never plays out completely because it was too terrifying. So what you remember of it is playing out. And it's the worst parts. But they don't really make a coherent picture. You can't swallow it. It just hurts. So what they're finding out in this, in this other world that pain and suffering seem to reign supreme. And if we think about how we treat or think about pain or suffering, we're terrified of it. We're not even willing to admit that something is wrong with us and we need it to be treated until we have no choice because we're terrified of it. I don't want to be sick. I don't want to think about that. Why do I want to think about that? Let's hide from it. Let's run. What these kids show in uh, Stranger Things is show a sense of uh, 
determinism. They're determined to stand up. They have a cause. They have a brother that they lost. Right? So when Will comes back, he's the evil magician, right? The evil magician archetype. He leads them into believing certain things uh, that are not true. He's constantly communicating with the other side and telling them what where they are. And he puts them in danger. One thing, Dr. Lahab, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. What, one thing that I really like about this series, and I, I think I might have mentioned it a podcast or two ago, is that predominantly people are, they're not fighting these things alone. They're, they're, uh, you don't see them like in many movies where, oh, let's split up. You go that way and I'll go that way. And then you got everybody alone. And it's all susceptible to being devoured. But in this show, they're either with the group or, uh, you know, the sheriff is, is with Nancy or not Nancy. Sheriff is with Joyce. Um, Nancy is with Jonathan. And look what happened to Nancy. Nancy was sucked into that world Ooh. and she and she was lost. Yeah, She wasn't coming back yeah. until Jonathan grabbed her and with great effort, pulled her back into reality yeah well and it, this reality well that into the reality of the show that they were calling reality yeah uh of course there's multiple realities but for the purpose of the show back to reality yeah and 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 it just keeps reminding me over and over again do not explore the depths of of, of your complexes alone. We yeah. need help doing it. Dangerous. It's very dangerous. Dangerous. It's dangerous to have conversation with the gods and think that you are at the same level. They will mislead you. They will lead you astray. They will tell you stories that are not believable. But once upon a time, you believe them. You have to watch out for the gods. The complexes are almost like trickster gods. At mm. times. There's a trickster element to them. It's part of the way they defend. But there's an element to them. As much as menacing as they can be, there's also the trickster element in the complex. Well, you could go to that party. I mean, I don't see why not. The last time you went to that party, you know, you came back crying all night and I had to be there to take care of you. And suddenly, well, you could go, but can you go? Of course you could go. I think you should go. And then it tucks you out of it. Yeah, definitely you should go. No, no, you shouldn't go. Terrible idea. You know what happens to you when you go. But maybe you should go. And so it keeps, it's like a yo-yo. 
I don't know if anybody knows yo-yos anymore. Basically, it's this ball on a string that you like unfurl it and lift it back up. It's like a wheel. Um, they call it a yo-yo. It goes back and forth, basically. That's what yo-yo means. Um, so, any thoughts? I also enjoyed the fact that, I, and this is just from studying this stuff in the 70s, uh, but huh, the sensory yep. tank, sensory oh, deprivation yeah. tank. They, yeah. they built a sensory deprivation tank. Yeah. Uh, the group built it so that L uh, could find, or 11, could find Will. And, and I, I found it interesting because after I saw that episode, I went back and read one of the first books that I ever read was Cy Center of the Cyclone. Sorry. Center of the Cyclone by John Lilly. And I read huge portions of it that was describing exactly what was happening in the show. And this was written 50 years ago. Ooh. Uh, you know, so it, it's, um, people have been studying this type of the methodologies to help them get to the other side for a long, long time, even in the Western world, who, who, who were the last people to really start looking there? Well, yeah, I mean, native people, first nation people have been doing this forever yes since the beginning these are their initiation they're for initiation they're for um getting over illness severe illness um getting over emotional or psychological illness they used to do this um they still use sweat lodges Yes, they still all of these are um, in the Northwest. You could go to a sweat lodge. You can do these things. This is this is part of um, cleansing the energy, right? Because there's all kinds of things that latch on, all kinds of negative ways, uh, self-defeating ways, um, self-defeating thoughts. But this is all energy, it's negative energy. That's what it is. We call it self-defeating ideas, thoughts. Um, but it's energy. So going into those states, like a sensory deprivation tank or a sweat lodge or um, mm. meditations and chanting or yeah. a pilgrimage and walking, it is too... Reduce the sensories so that you can focus on um, the truth and removing your ego and removing mm. removing that so you can open these pathways. And then when you so that you can avoid those yo-yos. Yes. You don't have the yo-yo. You don't yeah. have the fear. I'm afraid to do it this way. I'm afraid to do it that way. <laughs> Just to remove all of that so that dialogue isn't there. So what that does is it does it does two things. It takes the ego offline, but it also yes. takes the complexes offline. Mm -hmm. Neither can function. Good point. So neither can assert itself and take over while you're in that state. 
So it might take over for a brief period of time, but then something else switches because nobody has control. It's, it's the world, it's basically where time doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And that the variations in your mood state is split second. So you're able to experience really deep, hurtful, traumatic experiences at the same time have a euphoric type of experience. And so this vacillation between these two parts helps reintegrate your emotional feeling state. That's the optimal. I mean, that's optimally what we want, but that's optimally what we're thinking about. So yeah, when it, go on. I was just going to say, Dr. Dr. Lahab, that it's interesting that they call it sensory deprivation, and that's initially what it does. It does deprive the senses of all uh, temporal and tactile and extemporaneous intake into our senses. Yes, it blocks the senses, but then when it blocks the senses from all that noise, the senses now become very, very receptive to that which is not temporal. Yes. They become very receptive to energy that we have never defined and delineated and, and labeled before. Yeah. And, and, and I find that fascinating that it's, it's a real, it's a real dichotomy of science. Yeah. I think it goes also along with that in that sensory deprivation is having no attachment to the corporeal or the reactions, having no attachment or judgment to your feelings, your, your emotional state, not just the sensory physical state, but leveling the playing field for everything so that you can see everything and not have judgment or binding lines that pull you this way or that way so that this gives you that that's a deeper level right lisa mm -hmm. so that's the deeper level so when you start you let go of the sensory parts yes and then it leads to what you're talking about mm -hmm. which is gradually getting into the depth and letting go of these things that tangentially holds you into this reality mm -hmm. And then interestingly enough, I have found from my own experience and those of others that I've conversed with about it, that the number one mistake that we make when we finally get there is now we're going to try to control it, manipulate it for, for our benefit. And as soon as we do that, we lose it. It, we takes, it takes huge amounts of experience and training to be able to learn to control that state. And that's why we see yogis, for example, who spend I, 30, 40 years learning how to do how to I'm control, not sure it really is a control, Eric. I think it's just a release. And, and, I'm, and, it may, and I may use the wrong word. I may be using the wrong word. I don't but think the, it is that they have more discipline. It is they are just more fluid. 
but that fluidity, that increased fluidity takes practice. It takes training. It takes time. No oh, one just, no one just is there instantly. It's an illusion. And unless you understand the illusion, you can't follow the string. The string doesn't really exist. So when you're in a deprivation tank and you want to take control, the illusion of control is what you're losing, what you're giving up, I think is what Dr. Lisa's saying. It's the illusion that you are letting go of, the illusion of control, the illusion of trying to hold on to something. This is usually when you start to, because you're still grappling with the idea that you exist in one, one reality. And that's again, the, and again, like I said, right? I may be using the wrong terms. No, no, for I'm, it, not, I'm not. But, I'm not, but at I'm the same time, that. that that freedom of release to maintain it and to continue it doesn't just happen right away. Absolutely no, it right. doesn't. But once it happens, it happens, and you can't really disturb it at a certain point. Once you are deep enough where you are in that state. You can't mess with it. You're too far in. You are too far gone. You're not yeah. going to be able to. Somebody, this is where you said, somebody's going to need to come and help you. with. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's going to need to pull you out of the tank. Otherwise, you could exist in the tank forever. You're not going to know because you're existing in a tank. You're existing in an altered state, basically. So what happens with Nancy when she's pulled in through the tree is she is taken into an altered state. Yes. And what when Will appears from the upside down, he appears in an altered state. His state has not changed. So usually when, when you go through the altered state and then you wake up and they let you kind of shake it off and you get back to looking at your feet and looking at the ground and touching the ground with your feet, because basically you need to ground yourself back into this reality. So that's why you look down. That's the first thing you do. It, you must have seen it when you, walk, when you like get out of the pool, you're looking down because you were in a different form you were in a liquid form so now you are back on a solid form and that's what the organism thinks about right anyway and dr lisa i'm glad you you i'm glad you brought that point up and, and then dr lahab followed up on it because um i agree with you i i, I think my western science language was was allowing me to express it in a way where I was putting possible barriers around something that I shouldn't have been. And I see what you're saying now. So that was that was I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I I think sometimes we just we 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 have our own we have our own complexes that kick in about how things should be or how they should move. Well, we do, and sometimes it's not. It sometimes it's not complex; it's just terminology. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For 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 sure, I think that was just lost in the translation between you two. Both of you were talking about the same thing. Anyway, um, 
what are we looking forward to? So next week, we will continue this conversation of Stranger Things. We will go into the second season and we're going to do something about trying to figure out, okay, how have they, with their new understanding of the upside down world, how has their external reality changed? Do we have time for me to no ask you and Dr. Lisa one question? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was wondering what y'all thought of this because once they'd start, every, all, the whole group, all of them, started recognizing what was going on, then all of a sudden, the CIA, the group that is on this side, came after them and came after them hard and captured them uh, and then made an agreement with a, an agreement with them. And then they got wiped out by the complex monsters. So I was wondering where that fits into everything. Why was what was that sent where the, was the CIA sent by the monsters or symbolically the, the complexes and an internal security apparatus are the same thing. The complex in its existence is an internal security apparatus. You have a trauma. There is this web that is thrown on top and then this is controlled. They control the event. They control what happens after the event. The CIA works in the same way. The CIA keeps things under control. They control the enemies. They keep the enemies outside. That's what the complexes do. They're actually a mirror image of each other. Thanks for asking that question. I, I forgot to but they're mirror images of each other. When I talk about the complexes, I talk about an internal security system. I talk yes. about a internal spy agency that has run amok. That's what the CIA is. It's a spy agency that's run amok because it has its own. Okay. It doesn't answer to the state. It is in the state of itself. And that's what makes it dangerous to itself. So you always have to deal with it, right? You always have to like say, okay, why, why are you involved in this, right? And so of course they're gonna come out. How are they gonna, because they control the, the yeah. so-called reality that we live in, right? But all things are mirrors of each other, right? There is an echo in time. We're all mirrors of something. And that something becomes more and more in line as we start to see all the different aspects of that something. The internal security apparatus, the, the defensive structure, right? The disassociative aspect of things, how we, how we fight something off, how we believe something to exist, how we want something to happen, how we create a different alternative narrative. We create alternative narratives all the time. CIA does that 100,000 times a day. <clears throat> That's what the complexes are doing. They're creating a different narrative. What is their narrative? You're not safe. I have to protect you. 
what is the narrative that the CIA? You're not safe. I'm here to protect yeah. you. <laughs> no, that very good. That thank you. That 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 helps clear it up a lot more for me. Thank you. I couldn't have been the only one wondering about that, so that's why I asked. No, but there's the what, what's interesting about the show is that there are fractures in time. It's like a mirror that's broken into different pieces. Yeah. And what you're seeing is different reflections of the same thing. Yes. Well, thanks. Thanks, Eric. Muchas gracias. Good question. All right. With that, we'll be back next week. I am Dr. Wahab El Samurai. This is Dr. Eric Tomlinson. That is Dr. Lisa Hong. And we are the IFC's Individuation Podcast. And we are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. We will see everybody next week. Have a good week, everybody. Bye. You can also find us on the IFC's YouTube. Make sure to check out the JAM Institute for Training's Magician's Call podcast as well. Tune in next time to the IFC's Individuation Podcast for the final part of Stranger Things and for another episode soon. The IFC is a not-for-profit institution. We don't have any paid advertising for our podcast, but we do accept donations. All donations and contributions are tax-deductible. You can find more info at instituteforconflict.com. Thank you.